All right, well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the well here at STSA. We're happy that you're joining us here today. We're wrapping up a series that is a four-part series, but it had some kind of interruptions in the middle there for some holidays, where we are talking about burnt out, how to find peace in the middle of this world. And what we've been talking about, for those who are just kind of tuning in, is how to go from an overcrowded, overstuffed, no-margin kind of life to a more balanced and life filled with margin. And we've been talking about margin, okay, and, and, and we've so far talked about two different areas that we need margin. We talked about our time, talked about our money, and today we're going to talk about relationships. And just as like, just for way, just by the sake, for the sake of review right here, margin, as we kind of talked about before, is the difference between our load and our limit. It's the difference between what we have on our plate right now and what we can handle. And hopefully, there's a space between those two. Hopefully, everything on your plate is not all the way to the limit of what you can handle because the best things in life happen in the margin. When you have margin in your time, as we talked about several weeks ago, margin in your time, that's the best part. That's where you know what you do? You take walks when you have margin in your time. You read books when you have margin in your time. You wrestle with your kids for absolutely no reason when you have margin in your time. When you have margin, that's where you think, you dream, you set goals, five-year goals, 10 years goals. This is where life is at its sweetest when there's margin. Financially, when you have margin, that's when you can just out of nowhere say, you know what, sweetheart? Sending the kids to the grandparents, me and you are going away for the weekend. You can do that when you have margin. When you have margin financially, you can say, you know what? My parents have lived a very honorable life. I want to honor them on their 50th anniversary. I'm going to buy them a cruise to whatever. When you have margin in your finances, then someone comes along and they pull, they pull at your heartstrings and you can help that person without feeling guilty or feeling like, how am I going to put food on the table or how am I going to pay for my kid's college? You know the best part when you have financial margin? You don't have nightmares about losing your job. Now, you don't have to work 80 hours a week for fear of what am I going to do if I lose this job when you have margin. Today, we're talking about margin, relationship margin. Now, some of you would say, okay, wait a minute. I kind of understand time margin. Like we should not, you know, schedule every single second of every single day. Like there needs to be margin. I understand financial margin. Like I have, uh, we talked about this last week. My income is this. My spending should be lower than that. Hopefully by, uh, there should be a buffer there. What's relational margin? What does that mean when I need margin in my relationships? I just cut some people out like you get rid of these people. Like I just have a maximum number of friends and there's like a limit of the number of people I should interact with and socialize with. Well, we can use the word relational margin or we can use another word interchangeably, which would be emotional margin. And the same principle that applied to your time and your money applies to your emotions and your relationships, which is this, that each one of us has a capacity and where we are, our current load should be less than our capacity and there should be buffer or margin. Because you know what happens when there's no relational margin? That's when sparks fly. That's when relationships thrive on margin. And if there's no margin in relationships, that's where two people who love each other and commit each other for life want to kill each other when there's no margin in relationships. For example, for example, she walked home from work, or she drove home from work, and she had a rough day at the office. 
and she rough day and her boss is on her case and so and so is speaking bad about her. She had a rough day. She comes home to her husband. All she wants to do is talk about it. He also had a rough day at the office and he comes home and all he wants to do is not talk about it. And he's at his capacity and she's at her capacity. And she walks in and says, how was your day? And he says, fine. Fine, comma, what's for dinner? And she presses because she has no space for the silence. Well, he's got no space for the lack of silence. And now you have two people who love each other, care about each other. But by the end of this night, you know how this story ends. Okay, usually pots and pans flying. Okay, by the end of the night here. And he's thinking to himself, why can't she see? I just need a break. And he and she say, why can't he see? I just need to talk. Why? What's the problem here? Problem is no margin. You're at work. And it's a rough day at work. And you took it from your boss. And you took it from your coworker. And you're waiting for the doctor, this and that. And then all of a sudden, it's 5 o'clock or 5.30, whatever time you leave work. And then you get that email. And that's it. You lose it when you get that email. You snap. And that's it. And you respond back and you fire off. And I'm not done with this place. Why? No margin. You're a nice person. You're a caring person. Your friends would actually say you're probably one of the nicest people they know. Always there to help. But may God help that person who comes to you on the wrong day. When you ain't got no margin. And yeah, or he comes with that negative comment. You know what living marginless is like? I used the analogy of a garage earlier, but I think a closet is more appropriate and fitting for today. You ever seen people? You ever, you ever seen someone with a closet like this? Maybe we should be honest. Are you a person with a closet like this? Some of you are. Some of you are like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. You know when you have a closet that's overstuffed, but you always think there's room for one more. There's room in there for one more. I don't know what's in there. Like I said, my firstborn child could be in there. I don't even know that he's in there. Okay. But there's room for one more. Well, you know, at some point in time, if you keep putting one more, one more, one more, what's going to happen in this closet? It's going to fall apart. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to collapse. Financially, we know there is a limit at some point in time. And even though I can go past it at some points, we know there's a limit. Time, we know there's a limit. Emotionally, we don't realize there's a limit. And that's why this is of all the margin is the most deceptive and most dangerous. Because we don't realize there is a limit to what I can do emotionally and I can do relationally. There are studies done about this kind of stuff, about how many uh, quality relationships a human being can actually have and invest in. There are limits. And what I need to do today, what we're going to talk about here today, is knowing what my limit is and making sure my capacity does not exceed my limit, making sure that my closet doesn't come crashing down. Some of you, you look at this closet. Maybe this is your closet. That's fine. We can work on that another time. But maybe this is your marriage, emotionally. Maybe this is where your marriage is. Your marriage is one hanger away from... Maybe your relationship with your children. You may not even realize. Maybe your relationship with your children is just one hanger away. Maybe your relationship with your friends. Maybe with your parents. Maybe your relationship with your boss. Like We, oftentimes, we live at this state and we don't realize it. And what we'll say is, like, we'll say, you know what? You know, it's it's... You know, he shouldn't have sent that email. Or she should have just known to leave me alone. Or he should have not uh, said that he wanted a cup of tea. Didn't he know? Like we, and we say, well, he shouldn't have or she shouldn't have. We blame all this stuff. But maybe the truth is 
is that we have a dangerously low level of margin in our relationships and we are driving way too close to the edge of the cliff and it's just a matter of time before we fall off. So what we're going to do here today is we're going to talk about how to establish some good margin, healthy margin, space between my load and my limit. And we're going to look at this verse right here, Proverbs 4.23, which is a famous verse, maybe you've heard before, which says, keep your heart with all diligence. And keep can also be translated guard. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of or no, read, it should be read, read the book, a book called Boundaries. Anyone ever read a book called Boundaries? Okay. Most of you are probably familiar with it, or at least heard of it, okay, heard someone talk about it. I'm going to borrow a phrase from the, the book Boundaries, okay, which is a great book, which I highly, if you struggle with this issue, go read the book Boundaries. It's a fantastic book. I'm going to borrow a phrase or an imagery that's used in that book about creating a fence or a boundary emotionally. And basically in that book, it talks about how emotionally we all need a fence around us. What does a fence do? A fence guards our property. So here I am in my yard. All right, let's say my yard is this middle section right here. If there's no fence, if you have no fence between you and your neighbor, there's like vagueness. Does that belong to me? Is that mine? Do I have to mow that or do I mow that? And sometimes I may stray over here and I may play in his yard. He may send his dog to poop in my yard, whatever it may be. And there's, there's a fuzziness between them. But what a fence does is it clearly defines, I'm responsible for this, you're responsible for that. We need fences emotionally. We need fences relationally. We need to know what is our responsibility and what is not our responsibility. What are we held accountable for and what are we not held accountable for and it's outside the scope of my duties. Now, any fence needs, in addition to having a fence, it needs a gate as well. Like a fence with no gate is like, you know, like a, like a, like a prison, okay? We don't need to build prisons around ourselves and lock ourselves in. We need fences and we need gates. And a fence has a purpose and a gate has a purpose. What's the purpose of the fence first? The purpose of the fence is twofold. If there's something good that belongs to me, it's to protect it and keep it inside. And if there's something bad that belongs to you, it's to protect myself and keep it outside. So a fence kind of keeps the good in and keeps the bad out. How about a gate? A gate has the opposite. A gate has the effect of if there's something bad that somehow snuck inside, a gate opens and I can release it. And a gate also, if I see one of my children out there who got who started rolling down the street or something like that, I can bring him back in. A gate is to let bad out and let good in. The point is we need good inside, bad outside. We need to protect the good that we have. We also need a gate to release the bad that we don't have. We need to make sure that when there's outside stuff that's bad, that's harmful, we close the gate so it can't get in. But when there's good stuff, we need to open it, that good stuff can get in. What does that mean emotionally or relationally? Someone who has only fences, no gates. Don't has fences, no gates. They protect themselves, very good. They don't let the bad stuff get in. But then the problem is if bad stuff is already inside. And the problem, someone who has fence with no gate sees someone in need and doesn't open the gate, has no gate. So he just kind of closed off from the rest of the world, and that's bad. The other side, someone with all gates, Basically, anyone who walking down the street, anyone who got any kind of problem, come on in here and I'll help you out. That's also bad. 
We need to be healthy with fences and with gates. And I'm going to break down that idea throughout the rest of our time here together. So, in a nutshell, okay, or in maybe like a, a summary kind of a way, what does it mean that I know what I'm responsible for emotionally? Am I, let me ask you, am I responsible for others and their problems or just my own problems? Am I responsible for others and their problems or just my own? If you're a fence kind of a person, you say, just my own, they're irresponsible, fix your own problems and stop being lazy. If you're a gate kind of a person, you say, no, we are all one family, and what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine, and we lean on one another, okay, and, and call on my brother, and I'll be there for you, lean on me, and all that kind of stuff. How do we solve this? Am I responsible for others or not responsible for others? Well, I'll answer it this way. I would say this, I'm not responsible for others, but I am responsible to others. I'm not responsible for others, but I am responsible to others. I'm not responsible for others. I'm responsible for one person, myself. And when I think of responsible for, I'm thinking mainly here in terms of like, I don't mean this 100% the way it sounds, but you'll, you'll follow me here. The end product. I am responsible for the end product here. Meaning, there's no excuse when it comes to this. That ultimately, in the end, whatever happens in my life, I'm responsible for it. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't, doesn't understand. He's not I, He is, but I'm responsible. You are not responsible for the outcome of my life. I'm responsible for the outcome of my life. You're responsible for the outcome of your life. Sometimes people tell me. Someone will say, uh, Father Anthony, uh, I need to come for confession. I say, okay, confession's every Saturday night. And they say, you know what? I can't make it this Saturday. Okay, come the next Saturday. Oh, I can't make it that Saturday. Okay, I, I'm, every Saturday. Come any, any Saturday that you want. You know what I mean? And they say, no, you know what? Uh, I need uh, to confess uh, tonight. Or, and I'm like, I can't tonight. Like, I have other things. No, it has to be tonight or tomorrow morning. And I'm trapped. Oh, I can't. And then they'll say, okay, you know what? If I die and go to hell, that's on you. No, it's not. It's on you. Trust me. It's not on me. That's on you. You're not to sit there and say that you're responsible for me. Okay, this is what we do sometimes when we don't want to hold account, be responsible for our own lives, accountable for our own lives, is we like to blame other people. Oh, it's my parents' fault. Oh, it's my boss's fault. Oh, it's my wife's fault. No. Ultimately, you are responsible. Actually, you know what? Do this. Get rid of the word fault. Use the word responsibility. It may be your parents' fault that you are in this situation right now, but it's your responsibility to get out of it. It may be your boss's fault that you lost your job, but it's your responsibility to get out of it. So get rid of the word fault. We don't, we're not here to blame. We're here responsibility. I am responsible for my own life, and I have to take responsibility over my spiritual life, over my uh, financial success, over my moving ahead in life, over my ability to obey God. I got to take responsibility because I'm responsible for myself. Does that mean I'm not responsible for others? I don't say you're responsible for others. I say you are responsible to others. Let me explain it this way. When it comes to responsible for, that's end product. When it comes to responsible to, that's the process that goes into it. You are not, we are not responsible. I, here I am. I'm not responsible for your final state in life, but I am responsible to do my best to guide you in the path of righteousness. 
and to show you the way to get to Christ. I'm responsible to teach to the best of my ability, to love to the best of my ability, to, to be a father to the best of my ability. I'm responsible to you to be the best that I can be. But in the end, what you do with what I give you is on you. St. Paul says it this way in Galatians. Look, look, we're going to look at two verses here in the same chapter, just three verses apart that make it clear. St. Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's chapter 6, verse 2. Three verses later, he seems to contradict himself and say, but each one shall bear his own load. What is he talking about? Bear one another's burdens, but each of you carry your own load. Bear one another's burdens. That's the responsible to others. Bear one another's burdens is what we love about coming to church. And I'm going to say, I'm, I'm trying my, my, my best to be personal here today and kind of share what, what, I, what I personally feel about this. That's why for me personally, that's why I love this church. That's what makes this church. STSA, the best church in the whole wide world because we care about one another and we bear one another's burdens. I started to think to myself, I came up with three or four examples just in the past six months. Three or four examples where this family, not talking about me, bear one another's burdens. thought of an example where a man got diagnosed with a situation, hospital, and tough situation, and before I could even blink, the ladies said, we made a schedule of how we're going to make meals. So-and-so said, okay, I'm going to pick up the kids from school and do this. So-and-so took care of these arrangements, and boom, we bear one another's burdens. We recently had a few multiple deaths in the, in, the, in, the, in the church family. Okay, not deaths in the family, but family of the church family. And lo and behold, bear one another's burdens. Financial, boom, we got it. We need to help cover some expenses. We got that covered. Um, this situation, a uh, person whose, whose father passed away, we need to help take care of their children because she's going to travel for this. No problem. I'll pick up the kids from school. Uh, they can play with my kids, whatever. Boom, there's the church family. Bear one another's burdens. I'd say the one actually that I love the most because usually it's kind of easy to be there in dramatic situations, but not like, like these situations we're very good at, but maybe not so much the middle situations. Someone... And our church family was going through a tough, like, relationship time. Okay, and this person was very hurt. And before I could even make the phone call, before I could even make the phone call, I discovered that so-and-so is over at this person's house. And so-and-so said, you're spending a night with me here. And so-and-so said, okay, you know what? Uh, after school, uh, whatever, come over to my house. And boom, the church family had jumped in before I had even been able to make that phone call. We love bear one another's burdens. That's what makes church the best. Because we're not here isolated. We're not here on our own. And I know when I'm part of this church family. So you may not see it if you're on the outside. You may sit in the back or kind of sit on the sides. may visit every now and then and say, what's the difference about being inside this church? No, when you're inside the church and you're a member of the family, then you realize that we are a family. And we do care about each other. And we are there for one another. And that's not saying that everyone is there for everyone. But when you are there, someone is there for you. And that's what we love about it is that we bear one another's burdens. But we also, each one shall bear his own load. Each one shall bear his own load. The difference here is what's the difference between a burden and a load? If you look at the Greek word that St. Paul used, actually the two words, burden and load, are very similar. And actually both of them could be or, or translated as the word burden. They both actually mean the word burden, but different kinds of burdens. The word burden 
refers to like a boulder burden, an excessive weight, something that one person cannot carry on their own. Someone going through a situation where, you know what, if I have to push this rock by myself, it will crush me and I will crumble underneath it. The word load is a similar word, but it means more of a day-to-day burden. Or if I could draw it pictorially for you, I would say a knapsack or a backpack. Now what St. Paul is saying is that each one of us has our day-to-day responsibilities, things that we are responsible for, and each one shall bear his own load. But then sometimes life hits you hard. And when life hits hard, and it's not a knapsack, when the call back from the doctor isn't a take two and aspirin and call me in the morning, when the emotional burden is too much for any one person, when there's a family in front of us that's crumbling, I remember in the movie The War Room, I don't know if y'all remember that scene that touched me so much when the friend was telling him that he's a paramedic and he did the Heimlich or whatever it was. He said, look, if I see someone in front of me that's choking, I'm not just gonna sit there and finish my salad. You see someone carry a burden. Man, that's completely different than the knapsack. The load, each one has to be responsible. And some of us were very much on each one has to be responsible and each one has to be accountable and no enabling and no making the, and I agree 100%. But then at a certain point in time where that knapsack is just too much for any one person to carry. And that's where we have to be there as a church family for one another. There's a story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus talked about a person with good emotional and relational margin. Story of the Good Samaritan says this. It says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Is that a burden or a load? Burden or a load? Certain group of people walked by, first group of people, and said, just a load. Look what happens here, verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why? It's a load. Pick up yourself, man. What are you doing down on the floor? Pick yourself up. Why are you being lazy? Get up. Another person, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. Passed by on the other side. Came and looked. Said it's probably his own fault that he's in this situation. Probably living a bad life. He probably got what he deserved. It's karma. Goes around, comes around. And he said, you are responsible for yourself. Another guy came by. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Watch, when he saw him, he had compassion. Means he didn't see a knapsack. He saw a boulder. He saw a burden. And he said, this guy cannot help himself out of this situation. We are to carry one another's burdens. So when he went, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He helped the guy. And he said, you know what? This guy can't help himself. This guy has no money. So here, I'm going to help him. I bandage his wounds. Okay? They say, when the guy bandaged his wounds, okay? The guy wasn't a doctor with a first aid kit. How do you think he bandaged his wounds? He ripped his shirt off. Okay, he ripped his shirt. How else would he bandage his wounds? He just walked down the street. He ripped his shirt off. He gave of himself. He set him on his own animal, which means that the good Samaritan now had to walk himself. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he said, Boulder, guy can't help himself. I am responsible to this person. I have to help. But watch how we see the healthy boundary and the margin that this guy has in the next verse. On the next day, when he departed. 
On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Imagine if this guy had no boundaries. Imagine if this guy was a marginless person. Capacity and load are the same. What would he have done? He'd have stayed with him. And then his, his wife would have called and said, Hey, come home. The kid is uh, graduating uh, kindergarten tomorrow. He said, No, I can't. The guy needs me. And this guy is too much. And, and the wife would say, Okay, give him money to the innkeeper and just like leave something to someone else to take care of him. Like you did more than your part. You were not responsible for him. You were responsible to him. You did your part. No. But what if he's sad? Who's going to cheer him up? And what if he wants a cup of tea? Who's going to make him a cup of tea? You know the guilt trip that we, that we hear from our parents, that we hear from one another. You know the guilt story. You know that stuff. No. We, we shouldn't be selfish. We shouldn't care about ourselves. No. But you see how the guy had good boundaries, good margin. The first guys said, carry your own load, man. And those guys, those, those, were, just, those were just fences. And this guy opened the gate. But he shut the gate at a certain point in time when he said, you know what? I did my responsibility. And now it's time to move on. I can see the look. Okay, as I'm speaking, I, I, if, if I could right now, I would love to just put like a red sticker and a blue sticker. Who's on the fences and who's on the gates? Who's on the, uh, the responsible? Who's the one who is more about the loads? And who's the one more about bound, uh, burdens? Because the burden people are like, no, but that's so selfish and I can't leave him. And what if he's sad? And what the poor is... And then the rest of you are like, no, nah, nah, he gave him too much as it is. He, uh, I mean, should make him earn that and fill out an application first. <laughs> to the people who are all about burdens, 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 you probably have very little emotional margin. To you, what I'm saying sounds heretical. Sounds heretical, doesn't it? Hey, wouldn't Jesus stay with him? Wouldn't Jesus stay with him? What would Jesus do? Well, I'll tell you the answer what Jesus would do right here. John chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus came to a man who was a poor man who had a burden which was too big for him. Burden too big. He was sick. So Jesus said to the sick man, or I'm sorry, the sick man said to Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? The sick man said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another takes, another steps down before me. So what did Jesus say? Oh, that's okay. I'll pick you up. I'll put you in. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. I always look at this story. Look, think about this. Why didn't Jesus pick up the bed for the guy? The guy said, I can't, and it's hard, and I'm supposed to do. Jesus said, I'm going to heal you. But you, bend down, pick up that bed, and carry it yourself. Why didn't Jesus pick up the bed for him? If, if we, our mentality is like the doormat of Christianity, if we think Christianity is just be a doormat, and just, no, and that's okay, then Jesus would have picked up the bed for the guy. And Jesus probably would have bought him lunch. Jesus probably would have, would have uh, sent, sent him home with uh, food stamps or something like that as well. He said, I'm going to heal you. But you stop making excuses. You pick up your bed and walk right here because you have to carry your own load. Yes, this burden you cannot carry, so I will carry your burden, but you will bear your own load. See how Jesus had the balance? And that's what we need to find is that balance. Some of us are too much burden. Some of us are too much load. Some of us think everyone is poor them and poor them and we help and we push ourselves to the limit emotionally. And you know what happens? Actually, you know what? These two people are a lot more similar than you realize because you know what happens to this person who pushes and pushes and pushes and has no limit, no limit, no limit. You know what happens to them? The closet, what happens when you put one more person in that closet? It collapses, And then they become, help yourself. Help yourself. I don't help no one. 
because I got burned by helping people. And that's what we're trying to avoid. That's why we need margin space in the closet. What I want to do for the rest of our time here together is I want to address some FAQs about emotional margin. And I frame them in the form of misconceptions about emotional margin that maybe you're thinking in your head right now. And this is for both sides of the coin right now. And the first misconception, okay, as you see in your handout up on the screen, is that if I set boundaries, if I try to establish margin, I'm going to be hurting the people I care about. Because usually the people that we need the margin with are those who are closest to us. No, I can't do that to my mom. No, no, I can't say no to my dad. No, no, I can't tell my husband and my wife. No, no, my kids. I can't, I can't, I can't. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And especially, this is especially true if you have a history of unhealthy practices and habits emotionally. So you know what? You've been helping your brother financially for a long time, and that's not right. Yes, he will be hurt when you say, I ain't paying you no more. He will be hurt, but you know what? Sometimes you just have to let people be hurt. You never say no. You never assert it with your husband. You just grin and bear it. And you grin and bear it. And you just take it. And you never say your feelings to your husband. You know what? When you do say it, yes, he may be offended. Yes, he may be surprised. But that's okay. He'll live. He's a big boy. Tell him to put on his big boy pants and he'll be okay. One person told me, said, no, I can't say no because I can't take it when people give me that look. That look, that look, I can't take that look. Well, let me tell you who didn't mind that look. Jesus didn't mind that look. Let me give you two examples. We'll just run through them quickly. Matthew chapter 14 is a story of when Jesus, earlier in Matthew 14, he had fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. So there's 5,000 men plus women and children gathered on a hill. Jesus gave them free food for absolutely no reason. They didn't even ask for it. Jesus saw they couldn't, they couldn't find food. They might starve, they might, whatever. Jesus fed them. But then look how the rest of the story goes. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. The multitudes didn't want to leave Jesus, but Jesus said, you know what? Enough is enough. I gave you the five loaves and two fish. And of course, they're thinking, okay, this is great. Lunch tomorrow? Jesus said, hey, no, no, no. Enough is enough. Another verse. Mark chapter 1. Verse 35, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. There he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. The reason why is earlier in this chapter, Jesus had done all kinds of healing and sick people were healed and demons cast out. So of course, the whole town, if I come here today and I heal, you know, this front row right here and I say, all of you, you're healed. What are you, first thing you're going to do is you can go bring mom and dad and auntie and uncle, whoever it is, say, okay, that's good. Bring all the sick people and we'll be waiting for you tomorrow the next day. And of course, all of Arlington would be here if I'm healing sick people. But Jesus said, you know what? No. I look at the next verse. It says, everyone's looking for you. But he said to them, man, I'm going to the next town. I'm done here. Some of us, the phrase, everyone is looking for you. Or let me change it. Maybe something that may be here. Everyone needs you. I need you. I need you. You're needed here. Jesus said, you know what? I'm moving on to the next town. Saying no doesn't hurt people. Saying no may be the best thing you do for that person. Saying no, number one, if it keeps you healthy, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, if it keeps you healthy, 
you're doing a good thing for the relationship. And number two, each one shall bear his own load. So this is all the people who don't like the handouts, okay, and don't like, okay, this is, the, now I'm speaking your language right here, is that each one has to learn to be responsible over their own selves. And sometimes we do in a, in a, in a desire to be Christian and a desire to help the other person, a desire to not turn the other person away, we actually end up hurting that person and we end up hurting ourselves as well. So with each of these, we're going to have an action item, a to-do. If you struggle with this misconception, here's your to-do. And most of them are mental more than they are action. And here's, here's your to-do item if you think that saying no is going to hurt people. I'm going to be assertive. I will be assertive. What I mean by assertive is I'm not just going to sit here and say, okay, you know what? Father Anthony's right. I shouldn't do that anymore. No, I'm going to be assertive. I'm taking initiative. And I am going to make a plan or find some way to be assertive and that may mean going to a spouse or a loved one or a friend or a boss or a parent or a child or whatever it is and saying, you know what? This stuff is piling up inside me. I got to get this out. And I got to say this in love and I got to do this honestly and I can't allow this bitterness inside me anymore. You know your problem if you struggle with this misconception that I don't want to hurt people, I don't want to hurt people, I don't want to hurt people? Who told you that setting a healthy boundary is hurting them? Like we have this misconception in our mind that if I put a fence between me and my neighbor, he might be sad. Why would he be sad? He's not be sad. It's defining what's his property and your property. He's going to be judged on that. No, but he might be sad. No. Stop viewing fences as an offensive weapon. I'm not saying set boundaries in a, in a hurt the other person kind of a way. So remove that from your mind. And just so you know, if the only thing, back to my neighbor example, if the only thing keeping a good relationship between me and my neighbor is him and his dog pooping on my yard, we have other problems. If the only thing keeping your marriage together is you do whatever your spouse tells you or you and your parents, whatever they tell you to do, and you never assert it, if that's the only thing holding your friendship together, then that's not a very good friendship. Set healthy boundaries. Be assertive. Number two, setting boundaries means being selfish. This is a misconception. Setting boundaries means being selfish. And again, the longer you've been in church, the more likely you are to know all the verses about, no, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and die to myself and give my life as a ransom for many. And we have all the verses that, that, that we heard before and we say, no, and I'll tell you who's especially susceptible to this one from my own experience. Okay, not trying to generalize here, but just what my own experience. Wives and moms. Wives and moms. Sometimes we have the martyr mentality that you know what? Just grin and bear it. Suck it up. Don't be selfish. Be a good wife. And then we throw in the, 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 the final sentence, which is God will reward me. God will reward me. I do this and God will reward me. Are boundaries selfish? I'm telling you, the kindest, most caring people in the universe are those with the healthiest emotional margin. I guarantee you. And I'd be standing here and I'd tell you from personal experience that the more margin I'm able to create emotionally and relationally, the more I am able to better care and minister to all the people that have boulders and burdens in their life. And when my margin goes down, actually it's the opposite. When my margin goes down, my selfishness goes up. And I bet you, if you understood yourself, you'd probably see the same thing in your life too. Creating margin isn't selfish. 
Not having margin is what leads to selfishness, not the other way around. Make a distinction between two things. Selfishness and stewardship. Selfishness means I only care about myself. Stewardship means what? Stewardship means I know that I have been given something and I will be held accountable for what I've been given. I am responsible for something. Stewardship is not selfish. Stewardship is saying, you know what? This is all the emotions I got. And I know God has big stuff for me and I need to be caring. I need to be, when my wife comes to me and needs to talk, I have the emotional capacity that I can listen. I need that when my son comes and he didn't make the basketball team or my kid and she didn't play well in soccer, whatever it is, that I need to be saying, you know what, just, just don't leave me, just leave me alone. I don't have time for you right now. I need the emotional margin to be a good steward of the children God has given me and to be a good steward of the, of the congregation that God has given me. And when I don't have margin, that's when selfishness kicks in, not the other way around. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. St. Paul says, And not only as we had hoped, well, I'm sorry, I should give the context this. He's talking to a, uh, a group of people who had been very, very, very generous, okay, about a very generous gift that they had made financially to help a church in need. And he said, This group who had gave this generous gift to you guys, the Corinthians, Another church gave to them. He said, them, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Notice the order there. He didn't say, we told them our sob story and they said, you know what? We love you all. We care about you. We're going to give to you. He said, no, 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 no. This group is the most generous people. You know why? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord and then the Lord told them, give to these people. So they realized that it wasn't selfish if I said no to them. I'm going to say whatever God wants me to say because I gave myself to the Lord. Said another way, here's your action item for this one. My action item is this. I won't allow the emotional needs of others to come before my own. I won't allow the emotional needs of others to come before my own. That doesn't mean I don't care about the emotional needs of others. But I will not allow the emotional needs of others to come before my own emotional needs. You can't help anybody when you yourself are messed up. Logic. This is why when you get on the airplane and they say the oxygen mask falls, they say put your own mask on first and then help the little guy next to you. Why? Because they, you are of no benefit to that little guy if you are passed out and in a coma. We put the oxygen mask on ourselves and then we help those around us. We carry our own load and then we help others carry their burdens. But if we are not able to care for our own emotional needs, we're not going to be able to help anybody else. That's the second. Third one is my favorite. Third one is my favorite. I need to be fair. If I help one, I help them all. And to be honest, the majority of the people that say this, not all, okay, I'm not going to say all, but I'd say 80-20 on this one. Some people, the 20%, are really saying this in a way of they do help everybody, and that's bad for other reasons. But you know the majority of people who say this? They say it in a way of laziness. They say it in a way of, you know what? I would love to help you. But if I helped you, I'd have to have everyone, so I'm going home. I would love to help every homeless person. But see, if I help one, I'd have to help them all. Do you know how many sins were committed in the name of fairness? How many acts of cruelty were committed in the name of fairness? No, 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 no. I can't help this person because if I help this one person, then all of the world will be at my doorstep and therefore I can't handle that. So sorry, tough luck to you. And we justify it in the name of fairness. And truly, that is sin is what that is. This is nonsense. Andy Stanley, 
pastor down in Atlanta coined it, said so eloquently. He says, the goal is to do for one what you wish you could do for all. You cannot do it for all. Nobody can do it for all. Even Jesus himself could not do it for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Stop making excuses of, I can't help this person because I can't help every person. You No one can help every person, but you know what? If I help this person, and this person helps that person, that person helps that person, that person helps. If everyone does for one what they wish they could do for all, we'd cover everyone. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. St. Paul says, Do I not persuade men, or do I persuade God? Do I seek to please men? If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You know what I'm, my, your action item is going to be here for this one? Your action item here for this one is our goal is not to please men. I'm not telling you help every homeless. I'm not telling you be there for every sad person. I'm not telling you to go to every function or event or birthday party that you're invited to. But I am asking you to obey the voice of God and what to do. And you say, how do I know what to do? Well, that's our action item. My action item is I will seek guidance from God and be sensitive to his, to his, sensitive to his leading. I will seek guidance from God and be sensitive to his leading. For example, make this practical in case this is tough for you. It's the age old, someone in the street asked me for money. Should I get help them or not help them? People ask me that all the time. Homeless person, should I help them or not help them? I cannot say to help them or I cannot say to not help them. I, if you are the richest person in the world and you can help everyone, great. Okay, or if you got no money in your pocket, don't help, okay, great. Or that's fine. But most likely you're somewhere in between. And there's a point in time where you feel God is saying, no, 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 yes, help that person. And in that situation where God is leading you to help that person and you choose not to, that's a sin, especially if you do it in the name of fairness. But I'm not saying that you just go willy-nilly and throw all your money. So do you see what I'm, my point is? It's not up to me. It's up to God. Let me tell you how I, I make this practical for me. Me, don't, don't take this against me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sharing just from my own experience, but I'm not. I never have an agenda up here. Okay, I hope, I hope you realize that. Uh, my only agenda is just to be honest and just share. So please don't think like I have an agenda or I'm trying to make a point or anything like that. I made a vow to God. I would never, ever use this for that. So just trust me. Like, take it simple. At the phase of life that I'm in, everyone goes through different phases in life. Okay, in my priesthood, there was the beginning phase when it was me and Marianne. Okay, and we didn't have kids. That was a phase. And I was able to do certain things in that phase and then even when the kids were like little and Marianne wasn't working, now we're in a phase where Marianne is working full time and the kids are at an age where they play a lot of sports, both on Monday, one has soccer, one has basketball on Monday, Michael got Tuesday, he got Wednesday. We got two games every week for soccer or, or yeah, soccer and then we got uh, basketball. Like we have a lot of different things going on. In addition, my kids are at the age, Michael's about to turn 11. I'm doing the math, okay, and I'm trying to figure out it's hard to say in front of my parents. At what age did I not care about hanging out with my parents anymore? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and my kids are approaching that age. And it's an inevitable age, okay? At what age do you, you just, you don't, the last place you want to be is at home, okay? I love my parents. They're the best, okay? But it's an inevitable age. My kids are approaching that age. So I have a limited time with them where they actually like spending time with us. So for me, a big thing for me 
is being home weeknights. That's a big thing for me. And it's not because I'm selfish. It's not because I watch TV. It's none of that stuff. It's because I feel in front of God, my responsibility is to my family first and foremost. And I'm going to tell you, like I'm going to let you inside the mind of a priest right now. I was actually just sharing with someone. Most priests who, I'm not saying anything about other priests, but most priests who don't invest as much in their family life. Because you know what, like usually pastor's kids, like a lot of them are, yeah, you know. You know, okay? Because most priests or pastors will say the following sentence. God, I'm going to take care of your children, so you take care of mine. You heard that one. God, I'll take care of your house, so you take care of mine. I came to the conclusion of, you know what? I'm going to do it the other way. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to take care of my house. And I'm going to trust you to take care of your house. Like, why is it I'm so trusting with my wife and kids and say, you know what I mean? But I trust God with you. But in the church, I won't trust anybody else with. So I just decided it's like a personal decision. I'm not going to say that. And I'm going to say the opposite. I'm going to say that this church, I'm the priest right now, but I'm not going to be the priest here forever. This church will live way past I do. And there'll be tons of people who do this job after me, before me. Like, there's a lot of people who can do this job. I'm not the first one. But ain't no one else is going to be a father to an 11-year-old except me right now. No one else. And no one else is going to be a father to that 9-year-old except me right now. That's it. So I, I take this very seriously. And then someone will say, I need to meet with you. I need to meet with you. And I say, okay, you know what? Saturday nights is when I do appointments. Like Saturday nights is my night because like Saturday nights is when I do it. I, I batch them all together and people are free on Saturday nights. And if I do one thing during the week, like the traffic and the, like, it's just, it's, it's extremely better for everyone involved. We just, it's like, just, just trust me on this. I'd say, well, no, I can't make it Saturday. Okay, the following. Oh, no, I can't. Oh, no, I need you right now. Should I go to them or not go to them? Should I go or not go? I told you my little sob story right now about the kids. You say, no, let them suffer. Who cares about them? Stay with your kids. But some of you, well, that might have been you last week saying, no, you should have gone to them. What's the answer? Do I go or don't go? The answer is I lift my heart to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I kind of really believe in like this family thing, but I'm not stupid enough to think that I set a rule and God must abide by my rule. And there's no deviation outside of my rule. So I lift my heart to God and I say, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to go or not go? And sometimes God says, no. Tell them to come on Saturday. And they're just trying to inconvenience your schedule so as not to inconvenience their own schedule. Like they don't want to give up a Saturday night because they want you to give up a weeknight. That's what sometimes God says. So I say, no, I'm sorry. And then sometimes God says, the kids will be okay tonight. Go, go to this person. There's no answer. I'm invited to lots of weddings. Lots and lots of weddings. If I say you're unto the I have to say it to them all. Can't. But then every now and then, I'll randomly feel God really pushing me to go to this. Why did you go? But you didn't go. Like, uh, come to my birthday party. Come to my graduation. Come to my whatever. Sometimes it's from God and sometimes it's not from God. I can't say. I can't say that anytime your coworker comes to you and says, I need to talk. No, cut the boundary and that's not in the plan. No, you have to have boundaries, but sometimes you go around the boundaries. That's what the gate is for. Do you understand what I'm saying with this? I'm saying there's no hard and fast rule. There's no blanket. The rule is that we lift our hearts to God and we trust that God will inspire us and lead us. Someone actually told me this story of not too long ago. It's a crazy story about a person who basically did this. 
And there was a homeless person who said to them, like, I need like money or something like that. And this person lifted their heart up to God. And all of a sudden, this person gave them something, got back in their car, drove, felt God calling, turned back around, invited the homeless person out to lunch. And sat with that homeless person for lunch, bought them lunch, sat with them for like an hour, two hours, and shared the gospel with this person and encouraged this person, lift this person up. If you would ask me, hey, Father Anthony, every homeless person, should we take them out to lunch? I'd say, no. But you know what? That lady, that homeless person, yes. We lift our hearts up to God and we seek his guidance. If you remember, for those who were here in week one, we spoke about margin and I said margin at its core is an exercise of trust. It's an exercise of faith. The opposite of margin, like the reason we don't have margin is because of fear. And that's why, remember, I, t- I told you when God commanded margin, commanded the tithe, commanded the Sabbath, and then the gleanings. So the tithe, saying, don't be afraid, okay? You live off of 90%, don't be afraid, you'll be okay. The Sabbath, don't be afraid. You can get your work done in six days, don't be afraid. Trust me, exercise your faith in me. When it comes to relationally, the trust factor, Matthew 10, 35, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The trust factor is, you know what? I might set some boundaries and I might hurt some people. And some people may not like it. But in the end, my first commitment is to God. And I love you because I love God. And I give myself first to God and say, God, you are number one. And because I give myself to you, then I can give myself to others. But we have to be okay with people, you know what? not happy with us. Like somehow along the way, loving people and pleasing people got confused. If you struggle with boundaries, this is your problem, is loving people and pleasing people started to get confused and started to look the same. And I need to love, and I need to love, and I need to love turned into, but I need to please, then I need to please, then I need to please. And the two are never meant to be the same together. That's our series on margin, okay? And as we wrap up, I'm gonna invite our music team to come up here because we'd like to end a series with a nice song together. And I want to leave you with this verse here that hopefully reminds you of everything that we talked about and shows you the reason why margin is so important. Ephesians 5, I started the series off with this verse. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the best things in life happen in margin. When you have margin in your time, that's where life becomes, that's where you do meaningful things in life. That's where you invest deeply in relationships. When you have margin in your finances, that's when you can make a difference in this world, okay, and contribute to to, to things and help others in need. And when you have margin emotionally, that's where you find the best and sweetest relationships in this world. Too many of us, we're skimming the surface on what life could be because we don't have enough margin. Trust me on this one. Take this series. Go figure out what margin you need to make in your life, and I guarantee you, you will see the quality of your life increase when there's more margin. Let's stand together. Okay, well, I'm...
Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love. As we sing, holy, 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 high lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love, as we sing, holy, 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 holy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. Lord, it is the greatest desire of our heart to see you and to see your plan for our lives. And we know it's a great plan, and we know the stressed out, like overwhelmed, overburdened, full closet, marginless lives that we're living are not your plan. So I pray, Lord, that through our, our time here together that you really would open our eyes to see what you want to do and cast like a, a big vision for our lives, our finances, our relationships. Show us your vision, Lord, and help us to tap into that and, and, and to be obedient to what you want to do in our lives. Lord, we're excited to think of the possibilities in this coming year of when we get our relationships, our time, our schedule, our finances, and we get these things in order and we submit them to you, Lord. We're excited to, to think of the possibilities that could be no more, Lord, our life is out of control, but we give control fully to you, and we pray that you would just help us to like, take the steps needed to get there. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our, our Father, Father, who, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, come. Thy, thy will be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.